Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome back again. For those of you who are back, if this is the first time you're listening to one of these, welcome. It's great to have you with us. I'm in the middle of a Bible study through the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. So uh, if you have a Bible and it's safe to open it, because I know some of you might be in your cars or uh, at work or something like that or just not having it available, you can open to the book of, of Ephesians. And once again, just a reminder by way of background, this is a letter written by Paul. It's written from prison. It is a letter that uh, is, is not like many of his other letters in the sense that um, he, P- Paul is not addressing particular issues in a particular church, one, and also because this letter reads more like a long extended meditation. It's like, it's almost, it's not like journal entry, but it's close. It's close to that kind of thing in the sense that Paul is kind of like, you can just see him musing, sort of rambling and making connections in his head as he goes. Um, He's not necessarily making a whole lot of arguments throughout it. He's just really meditating and reflecting on the glory of God and especially upon God's plan for uh, the redemption of his creation. So that's, uh, that's really the background of, uh, of the letter. And in the first part of the first chapter, we talked about how um, Paul, Paul um, has d- these prepositions, uh, usually like in or through, that he attaches. He'll say in or through Christ and say that we are in Christ. This such and such happens through Christ. Um, because Paul has a theology, you might say, Paul has this union kind of theology where what Paul sees is that God's plan has always been Jesus Christ. That has been God's plan. And the way that we get sucked up into that plan is by getting sucked up into Jesus. It's by being united to him in some sort of special, uh, mystical, mysterious, but real but real way. And in this real way, the actual benefits and privileges and experience of God himself is shared with us. His life, his death, his resurrection, his inheritance of the whole world, that all ends up belonging to us. And that's what we talked about last Last time was in the first um, few verses after the introduction that Paul is saying, look, you, uh, God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, before he made anything. He chose you in Christ and he chose you in order to adopt you into his family, which is another kind of uh, union language. Once again, in Christ, he adopted you. And he also, through Christ, redeemed you through his blood, forgiving us our trespasses. For those who are in Christ, you have been forgiven your trespasses. You have been redeemed by Jesus' own blood. 
And because of that, because you're now in the family, because you've been redeemed, because you are in Christ, you also receive the inheritance that Christ has. All the benefits of being in the family of God are now yours. And the first of those that you get right now is the Holy Spirit himself sealing up all these truths in your heart. That's what we talked about last time. And this great and wonderful reflection, you might say, that Paul has just, just, just almost forces him into prayer, saying, praise God for this, right? So this section is actually a prayer that Paul, um, that Paul prays. He writes down for, uh, for this church, for all churches, because once again, this is a circular letter, and we, even though the name of Ephesus is attached to it, some of the earliest documents don't have Ephesus. It might have just been for the church writ large, the whole church of the world. Um, so Paul has this prayer, which, by the way, um, if, if you want to know how to pray, this is, a, this is a good model to follow. What Paul prays for here, anytime you see a prayer in the Bible when they're praying for something like this, especially the New Testament, where Jesus is the, is the center and focus of the prayer, that's something we can take to the bank. We can pray for this, and we can pray like this. So let's read it, and let's see what God has to say to us this morning. Paul says this, for this reason, once again, for, because of God's wonderful plan that he's drawn us up into in Christ, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards the saints, once again, those are markers that you are in Christ, and your love towards the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, so that only, not only in this age, but also in the age uh, to come. Sorry, there was no so that. He just says, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Man, I just want to pray that. <laughs> Make it so, Lord. But I suppose I should keep going. That's what is expected, and hopefully we will all be edified by it. So in this passage, Paul's prayer, Paul shows what he longs for. This isn't the last prayer in this letter, by the way. Paul's going to pray again. But uh, Paul shows what he longs for and what God longs for 
for us. Once again, remember that Paul said, once I heard of your faith and your love for the saints, which means if, if you have faith in Jesus and you love Jesus and you love his church, that's a pretty good marker that you are in him. So Paul says, because I heard of that, I don't stop thanking God for you and remembering you in my prayers. And his prayers specifically, he prays for something specifically. And that is a revelation. He prays that the people who receive his letter, which includes you and I, would have a new kind of knowledge. That's essentially what he prays for. Now, there are multiple aspects to this, but that's essentially what he's praying for. He has different metaphors for it. He says that you would be given wisdom and insight. He says that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened. There's many ways of saying it. But it all comes down to the same thing, that, we would, that something would be revealed to us, that we have a certain kind of knowledge. Now, what is that? Well, the first one is that, that we would know God that we would know Jesus. You see that here in, in, uh, in verse 16. It says, I do not seek to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. In the knowledge of Him. So that we might know God. Next thing that we might know is that we might know the hope to which he has called us. Now, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Then he gets a little more specific. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That's part of the hope. And the second aspect of the hope is knowing his power. Verse 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then he says, according to the great, work, the, the great work that he has done, and then he just sort of bursts into uh, declaring these theological statements. We'll get into that in a minute. But I want to focus on these, these requests, right? In a, in a prayer, I'm looking for the, uh, the, not necessarily the theology that he's teaching through praying, which sometimes people pray that way, right? Someone prays and you're almost like, are they talking to God or are they trying to teach theology? Um, Paul here is doing both. So, you know, sometimes I get upset when that's happening um, because I'm like, are we, are we talking to God or are we talking to each other? But Paul apparently is talking to God and just saying, man, this is so awesome that you are like this. And it's okay to do that. Uh, I mean, check your motives if you're praying to try and teach somebody. But if you're praying because you're like, wow, God, this is amazing that you were like that. That's what Paul does. Anyhow, back to, the, back to the main points. The things that Paul wants us to know is to know God, to know him. To know the hope that we're called into. Uh, and specifically in that hope is the hope of the inheritance to come. And to know God's power, that we would know his power. Those are the things that Paul uh, prays for. And so those are the things I want to talk about here. So first of all, we need to define this word knowledge, that we might know him. You know, if we're going to know him and know the hope, 
trust that we're going to have this inheritance, to know his power. Um, we need to define what it means to know. Now, biblically, not just here, but all throughout, all throughout Scripture, all throughout the Bible, the word know is used differently than the way that we use it. When we use the word know, we primarily mean information. We primarily mean that you are able, you have the ability to speak about something in a way that is informed, right? So if I, uh, if I know about theology, I am able to speak in an informed way about it. Or we also might have this, if you know, how, there's no how. So if I know how to fix a car, then when the car is broken, I have the ability to fix it. Those are two aspects of knowledge that we recognize in our, in our world. And there's another one, which is actually knowing somebody, knowing who they are, knowing uh, not just about them, not being a biographer, but actually knowing them in a, in a personal kind of way, a, a personal kind of relationship that has a context, it has uh, a, a back and forth, a give and take, a, a reciprocity to it. And when the Bible says no, it actually means all of those at the same time. There is no splitting of them. In the Bible, if you know about a, the know-how and the know-about, but you don't have the personal knowledge of, you don't know. That's just plain and simple. For example, in, in uh, Genesis, it says Adam knew his wife and she conceived. Knew his wife and conceived. That's not knowledge about, and that's not just know-how. He knew her in an intimate, experiential, personal one-on-one -on -one sort of way. <clears throat> That's what knowledge means in the Bible. So this is what Paul is praying for when he says that he, that he prays that we would know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. What he is saying is that he prays that we would know him in an intimate an experiential sort of way, the way a husband and wife know one another. He's actually praying for an experience. He's praying, once again, for that in Him, that union with God, that we would know Him. And here's the deal about knowing Him. It's not just like, oh, you know, they're quirky things, you know, like I, like, I know what kind of chocolate my wife likes. I know what kind of um, things she's into. I know what she likes for a date and what she doesn't like. It's not just that. It's not just like knowing a personality. But to know this God is to know his benefits. That's something that um, the reformers and the ancient church, church used to say over and over again. To know him is to know his benefits. That is to know his forgiveness for your sins. And that's why Paul, when he says to know him, and then he says these other things that you should know, the hope, the inheritance, the power, that's, that's knowing his benefits. To know him is to have an experience, and that experience is of who God is personally, 
At the very least, in the sense that this personal God is a giver of gifts. And you receive those gifts. You receive his benefits. That's part of what it means to know him, to experience the joy, the freedom of being delivered from sin and guilt and shame. Sometimes the freedom of being delivered from your current sins, from bad habits, you might say, from things that are nasty that you don't want. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Talking about to know him is to know his benefits, but let's look specifically at, uh, at hope. So he says the hope, he wants us to know the hope that's there for us. Where, where is that? Verse 18, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that we would know the hope to which he has called us. Now, here's the thing about hope. Paul says this in in Romans chapter 8. He says, uh, hope that is seen is not hope. Okay, so it is the nature of hope that it is not fulfilled. Otherwise, you're not hoping for it because it's actually been realized. So what Paul is saying is that you would know, that you would experience hope today. Anybody need that? Our world, I mean, even if there wasn't a pandemic that's been going on for two years, we're in a world of hurt. We're in a world that needs hope. Paul is praying that you and I would experience hope, would experience this longing, this longing for Jesus, this longing for that personal relationship and intimacy with him. But not only that, that we would long for his inheritance. And what does that mean? Long for his inheritance. That we would long for the day that he would come, that he would return. You know, an inheritance is not received until something happens. Usually it's until the, the death of the one who owns the property or whatever it is. At the death of this age, the end of this age, we will inherit all that Jesus has for us. And we can hope for that. Paul wants us to hope for that, to reach for that, to, to long for that. And Paul actually says, I think it's in, um, oh gosh, I'm probably going to butcher it. I can't remember if it's in one of the Timothy letters or the Thessalonian letters. I think it's, a, it's in 2 Timothy. He says, there awaits for me the crown of glory that's not only for me, but for all who long for his appearing. Paul wants us to experience, to know hope. To know the hope of the inheritance that is waiting for us. To crawl into the lap of the Father and receive the love that he has for us. You guys, he wants us to hope. And I know I might be striking a nerve here with some people because you might be listening to this 
and your life might be a wreck. Your spouse may have just left you. You may have just had a child hit by a car or a child perish or a child get sick. And it is very, very hard to hope. You are afraid to hope. You're afraid to hope. That is okay. This hope that Paul is talking about is not something that you have to conjure yourself by your own efforts. We'll get to that in a minute. I just don't want to lose you because you think that I'm commanding you to hope and to do something that you don't have the ability to do. So, so much for hope. The third thing that Paul prays for is for knowledge of his power. Verse 19, after he says, hope for uh, the, the glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Paul wants us to know, God wants us to know him by knowing his power. I got into this a little bit earlier. What Paul means by knowing his power, he gets into it, well, I'll just read it here. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places. And he says, far above all rule and authority. He's just just going on and on and on about the power of Christ. Did you notice what Paul says about this power? That we would know the power of Jesus' life and resurrection that we might know that power. The first thing uh, about that power that he's talking about is that we would know the power that comes through the working of Jesus in his life. That is his righteousness. The righteousness of his life and which made the acceptability of his death efficacious, which means it's just a fancy way of saying that it made his death one that was worthy to purchase our salvation. The working, the power of Christ to overcome sin and ultimately to overcome death through his resurrection. It is the power of Christ to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and to purify us. Do you know that power? Do you still live in guilt and shame? Today, Jesus wants you to know his power, to experience his power to release you, to release you, from guilt and shame. He wants you to know and experience the power of his forgiveness so that you, in Christ, can say, like Paul, there is now no condemnation 
right? He says there, are no, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if you are not in Christ, if somehow you're listening to this and you don't know Jesus, there is condemnation for you. I want your soul to be distressed. And you might be, how dare you make me feel guilty? How dare you make me feel shame? I'm a hard worker. You know, you might even be a Christian saying that too. There are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are, who are sinful and guilty and they do not know it. And then there are those who do know it. For those who do not know it, the message for you is you are a sinner, like it or not. And whether you're a sinner because of the choices you made or because you live in a broken world, it doesn't matter. You're still a sinner and you still need to be redeemed. You're still crooked and you still need to be straightened out. And so you should have distress in your soul over this feeling of condemnation. You should have that. That is a good thing. Because it is that distress that should drive you to Jesus. Now, my guess is that everyone has this in some regard. It's just you don't think about it in terms of sin and righteousness and salvation. You, everyone has this distress in their soul thinking, I don't measure up. There's something I got to do to get there. And that's for the people who, when I say people who know they're sinners, that's one aspect of sin. I don't measure up. I don't, I don't got the goods. I'm not tall enough, beautiful enough, able enough, knowledgeable enough. I'm not whatever enough. I don't measure up. And for those of you who are there, I'm not wanting to shame you. If you're there, I want you to know that you are seen. You are heard. The Lord sees you as you are in your inability in your not enoughness. And right there is where he comes to you. That right there is where he comes to you. And he comes to deliver you, to deliver you from those feelings of inadequacy. Because those feelings are themselves part of the fall. They're part of sin. And they're not something for which uh, I, you know, we say shame on you for feeling inadequate. No, it's just, it's part of, sin is not only the bad stuff we do, it's a condition we live under. But we need to be delivered from that condition. Who cares where the finger of blame is pointed? We live in the condition. Okay, if somebody's dying of COVID right now, you can be easily point the finger at whose fault it is, who wore a mask, who didn't, who went out and should have stayed in, and who didn't, and all that. But the reality is, if it's my dad or my son or my daughter who's dying, I don't care who is to blame. I want them to be delivered from this condition, from this life-threatening condition. We all live in this life-threatening condition called sin, and we need to be delivered. And you can experience the power of deliverance from that right now. That's what Paul is talking about. He wants you to experience the power that Jesus has to forgive us of sins, to deliver us from the power of sin, including that feeling of inadequacy we all have. 
And thirdly, he wants us to know and experience the power of Jesus' resurrection. Now, this is where hope comes in because we are not going to experience the power of Jesus' resurrection until he does that to us. We can't make that happen. We're not going to experience that until death or until Jesus returns. But either way, it is not actualized in our life, which is why we hope for it. He wants us to experience the hope of the resurrection, but the confidence that he has the power to do that for us because Jesus himself came back from the dead. Jesus himself was resurrected. This is Paul's prayer, that we might know him, that we might know the Lord, and in knowing him, that we would know his benefits, that we would know the hope that he has laid up for us. We would have the hope, we would know the hope of the inheritance he has for us, that we would know the power of his resurrection, that we would know the power of his life and death to forgive us of our sins, to deliver us from this condition, to deliver us from the fall. Do you want this? Do you want to have this? Do you want to experience this? Do you want Paul's prayer to come true for you? I hope you do. Where does that leave us? What do we do? Well, I hope you're not hearing me say that you need to run off and do something now, that you need to pray harder, go out and do more. Um, I'm not saying you shouldn't do those things. If the Lord is stirring it in your heart to go help the poor, go do something for someone in need or to get on your knees and pray or to open up the Bible and read, to connect with God, absolutely do that. But what I am saying is that this here, what Paul is praying for, is not that we would get busier and that we would try harder. Paul is praying that we would know God, and that knowledge is something that has to be revealed to us. It's not something we achieve. It's not something that we can earn, that we can get by getting busier. It's the nature of revelation that you can't, it's not accessible through someone's efforts. Think about a relationship with another human being. You don't actually know that person unless they reveal themselves to you. They have to reveal themselves. They're not just an object. So a, a guitar can reveal itself but through manipulation. If you manipulate the strings and the frets just right, you can reveal the song that, that lies dormant inside the guitar. That's not how God is. God can't be manipulated like that. He decides to go out. He decides to come. He decides to reveal himself. And that's what we have in Scripture. That's what we have in Jesus is God revealing himself to us. And that's why we look at the Scripture. That's why we look to Jesus. Because that's how God has revealed himself to us. Now, it's the nature of revelation that the, someone has to do the revealing. I can't reveal God. He has to do it for me. So here's the application. Throw yourself down in total dependence on Jesus and ask him. Just say, I, I want to know you. 
I want to know your benefits. I want to know the things that Paul is praying for. I want to pray Paul's prayer for myself and for everyone that I love. This is a gift. And the crazy thing is, is that God gives us everything we need for this. The Father gives the Son. The Son himself does the work that we should do, dies the death that we should die, and through his life, death, and resurrection, purchases all the goods for us. And God the Holy Spirit delivers those goods to us. He opens up our hearts, creates in us a new heart that is receptive to him so that we can receive these goods that he has for us and they can be sealed up in our hearts. It's all, all, all the Lord's work. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Praise God. Praise God that he's done it all for us. All we have to do is come to an end of ourselves and receive it. Are you willing? Are you willing to receive it today? Do you want to learn how to pray? Here's a model for us to follow. Here is God's desire for us. God longs to give us these gifts. Will you receive them today?